Welcome back to Queer's a $5 Bill, the podcast. I'm Lee Wind, the author and your host. This is bonus episode 34, my author interview, where I speak with one of my heroes, legendary children's and YA author and poet, Leslia Newman. If you're just joining us now, you can start at the beginning with podcast episode one. Ready? Here we go. Hi, Liz Leah. Hi, Lee. So I read Queer as a $5 bill, and I found so much to admire in this book. I was especially intrigued by the interweaving of fact and history with fiction. So my first question is, how did you get the idea to write this story? I really was so blown away. Back in 2010, I went to a talk and Randy Harrison was telling uh, the audience about these letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote Joshua Fry Speed that led him and a bunch of other people to believe that Abraham was in love with Joshua. And I was openly gay. I'd been gay for a long time. And I was just like, that can't be true. How could that possibly be true? And I'd never even heard of it. But I couldn't get this idea out of my mind. Like, could it be? So I went to the library and I got out the letters and I didn't come out until my 20s and I spent my high school years and college and even grad school dating women and I judged that it was the right thing to do. It's what my immigrant parents wanted me to do. It's what society wanted me to do, but I never felt it. And then there's this one letter that Abraham writes Joshua. They'd lived together for four years and then Joshua had moved away and had married a woman named Fanny. And about eight months after that, Abraham sends him a letter and asks him, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are. For many, but me, this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated, but I know you'll tolerate it for me. He ends it like, please tell me quickly, I'm very impatient to know. And I just got goosebumps, because that's exactly how I felt. I mean, I judged, but I didn't feel it. And I kept hoping the feelings would come, and they didn't. I finally got honest and authentic and came out to myself and everybody else. But it was like a window into like this shared feeling with these guys from like 150 years ago. And then I just couldn't stop thinking, oh my gosh, if I had a time machine and I could go back and tell my 15-year-old self that Abraham Lincoln was maybe in love with another guy, it would have changed my whole life. And I don't have a time machine, and no one's invented one of those yet. So I thought, well, I'm a writer. Let me pay it forward. I couldn't get out of my mind, like, what would happen if there was a 15-year-old today that was closeted like I was? and dating a girl like I was, and judging it the right thing to do, but not feeling it like I did, and then discovers that very same letter and gets that same goosebump moment, like, what would he do? And that's where this whole idea for the story started. Well, you know, it made a lot of sense to me, and it put Lincoln's life into a whole new perspective for me, because he was depressed his entire life. And I think when one can't be one's authentic self, one does get terribly, terribly depressed. It made a lot of sense to me, and the letters have so much evidence. I mean, the language that he uses, it was just a fascinating read. So tell me about Lincolnville, Oregon. Is that just a completely made-up town? It is. You know, there were so many towns in America that have the name Lincoln in them. But I thought that for my purposes... I felt I wanted to do a small town. I wanted to do a town that was rural. It was really important to me that Wyatt had this connection to nature and felt that whole subplot, I guess, or theme that he felt that he couldn't really be himself unless he moved to a big city. And then the lovely resolution of him realizing he could be himself exactly where he was. 
it all seemed to be like that needed to be a creation. But I tried to make it as real as I could. I studied maps. I based it a lot off of Philomath in Oregon, uh, which is a town I imagined that would be very near it. So I grounded it as much as I possibly could. I drew maps. I really wanted all the streets in Lincolnville to be the names of all the presidents. Because the real challenge was like, how is the story about Lincoln and him maybe being in love with another guy relevant to kids today, to teens today? You know, when the 1980s is historical fiction, how does finding out a secret from history from the 1800s have any relevance? So I needed to up the stakes. I needed it to be Lincolnville, Oregon. I needed his parents to own the Lincoln Slept Here Bed and Breakfast. I needed Lincoln to be important. And in fact, if you think about it, Lincoln is still kind of ridiculously important in our culture. From the penny to the $5 bill to Mount Rushmore to the ideas we hold about America, Lincoln feels very relevant today. Oh, absolutely, without question. So I really admire the depth of your research and your inventiveness in creating this whole story. And I wanted to know, what was it like to create the three main characters, Wyatt McKinsey, and especially Jonathan? Yeah, it's so funny. I did so many revisions. I mean, you know, the stuff that you've written blows me away. But for most of us, it doesn't come out perfect the first draft. There's revision after revision after revision. And I did one draft of this book where I told it from all three points of view. So every chapter was a different point of view. Some of the book was from Wyatt's point of view, some was Mackenzie, and some was Jonathan. And that was a huge turning point for me because prior to that, Jonathan didn't feel real. He sort of felt like, you know, hello, I've been called up from Central Casting to act out your plot. But I didn't understand who he was. And forcing myself to sort of write from his perspective really opened it up. And I understood his journey and his arc and who his family was. But I didn't want to tell the story in that way. I really wanted it to be Wyatt's story because I feel like for me, the books I really fall into are told from a single perspective. And at least for this book, it felt like it needed to be Wyatt's story. So then when I pulled it back, I knew all this other information about the characters and somehow that made them all feel much more alive and much more real. And being able to give Jonathan that arc felt right because I do want there to be a sense of hope to the story. And even though our times are kind of dark now, that's when light's even more important. Well, most people don't know how much writing goes on behind the scenes of a book and how many pages we have to write in order to get to the story, but those pages don't actually appear in the book. So that's very interesting. And what you just said about the dark times we're in right now leads me to my next question is what do you think has and has not changed since you were in high school? You know, there are people that talk about, oh, we're in a post-gay environment. And I don't think that's true. One of the things I heard from some early readers was, would a character really face this level of homophobia? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I hear from kids all the time, from teens, from my blog, that they are facing a lot of struggle with coming out. And there's a great book by Andrew Solomon called Far From the Tree. And he talks about this whole thing that when you are a child and you are different than your parents in some important way, there's a struggle there and a sort of coming out and a feeling that you have to find your community elsewhere. And I think that that will always be a challenge, but hopefully it won't always be a struggle. Certainly, I think 
for teens growing up today, it would be hard for them to feel how I felt that they were the only person that felt the way they do in the whole world. Now we have the internet, we have a lot of celebrities that are openly LGBTQ. The challenge is, is that our culture is pretending that history, queer history, began in 1969 with the Stonewall riots. But the idea that there were men who loved men and women who loved women and people who lived outside gender boundaries in history, like 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,600 years ago, is like not even on the radar. Because we teach history like it's, you know, the story of rich, white, cisgendered, straight men. And like that's the only history that matters. My daughter is in 10th grade in high school and her history book, it looked like the history book I had when I was in high school. You know, basically those stories, the sort of rich European white male stories. And it was just so frustrating. So I feel like we have a lot of work to do in terms of sharing that, you know, we didn't just happen, queer people. And I feel like when teens know that and everybody knows that there were people like us in history, it makes us feel more secure in knowing that there's a place for us at the table today. And if we feel like that is true, then we can imagine a future. And that's really what I'm hoping for. So why write this as a novel as opposed to a nonfiction book if one thing you're trying to do is show kids that this actually happened, that Abe Lincoln actually had romantic feelings towards another man? You know, I, I think there's room for both. And in fact, I have written a nonfiction book that hopefully it will be coming out in the next couple of years that includes the letters between Lincoln and Speed as one chapter in a larger picture of stories of men who love men and women who love women and people who lived outside gender boundaries. But there is this interesting thing about fiction that in some ways it gets you closer to the emotional truth than nonfiction. And I say that because by writing it as a fictional story where in a sense... I'm able to sort of channel all of my emotional truth into this moment where Wyatt discovers these letters and give him the same goosebump moment I had. I felt like I could tell the story more authentically and then play it out and see what would happen. Like Wyatt imagines that it's going to be, you know, cue the songbirds and the happy ending, you know, because everyone loves Lincoln. And then, of course, it all blows up into a big media firestorm. I feel like that's, that's the power of fiction, to make you care about characters and give you a different insight into things. And I think it's like improv, right? Yes, and. Yes, we should have nonfiction, and yes, we should have fiction, all of which gives us access to these stories from history. Well, I really liked so much about Wyatt and really enjoyed spending time with him because I just didn't know what was going to happen next, just like he didn't know what was going to happen next. So the tension and the suspense and the momentum of the book really carried me, you know, right from page one to the end. So I'm wondering, what is the source of Wyatt's courage? Because he displays an enormous amount of courage as he goes through everything he goes through. I think it's so hard to not be your authentic self. And I think that all the pressures on people to conform, and it's so, so strong in junior high and high school, this idea that, you know, we tell children in kindergarten, everyone's unique and special and wonderful, and so are you. 
and we celebrate that. And then somewhere around, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh grade, suddenly nobody wants to be unique and, and, and special. Everybody wants to be just like everybody else and wear the same clothes and like the same songs and they don't want to stick out. They don't want to be noticed. So when you know you don't fit in and you're pretending, there is this pain that comes with that. And I think that along with that pain comes a sense of anger. Like, how come I can't just be natural and be authentic? Why are things so unfair? And I think that that ultimately is the cause of a lot of people's strength. In a funny way, the thing that makes us different can be seen as our weakness, but also it's our strength. Because you have to be so resilient to rise up above that and be like, you know what? I am going to stick out. I am going to be my authentic self. And the crazy thing with that journey of life is that after you get out of junior high and high school and you get to college and you start to get on your own as a young adult, you start to realize that those things that made you unique and made you stand out are actually the things that make you special and give you an advantage in the world. So there's this funny thing that happens in adolescence where we pretend that our differences aren't important or we want to hide them. But it really, when we embrace them, that's when we sort of get this multifaceted community of wonderful individuals. And that's where we want to go. So I'm thinking about the Alice Walker quote, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Yes. And I felt like, you know, that resounded in my brain as I was reading your book. And I was also thinking about how many LGBTQ kids do kill themselves because it's just too much to live with so much hatred in the world and so much bullying. I just read about a nine-year-old who killed himself, which just absolutely Uh. broke my heart. So to have Wyatt as a role model for kids is wonderful because he really is so courageous even when no one is really supporting him, but he speaks truth to power, which is one of the refrains of the book. And I think that's just such an important message to kids. So that just leads me to wonder, what are your hopes for the book? I got a beautiful review from a college student who was not out to her family. The family was very homophobic and uh, she was very nervous about her situation and she wrote that the coming out scene where Wyatt comes out to his parents really gave her a sense of hope and Mm. that meant so much to me because I didn't have any examples of hope in that sense when I was in that situation and it was very very scary and the idea that my book can give somebody else hope is amazing and What I'm really hoping is that it opens people's eyes up to the possibility that maybe history isn't exactly as it's been taught to them, taught to us, and that it gives young people hope. And really, my goal is that in everything I do is like, if man, if I can help make teens today be more authentic and not waste the the years of their life pretending to be somebody else like I did, then I've succeeded. That's what I'm really hoping for. Well, that is a wonderful hope. So when you were in high school, was there anything that gave you hope? Was there any book that you read that had some LGBTQ content? Or, you know, where did you go to find comfort and support and hope? 
I was really into fantasy when I was a um, teen reader. I was a voracious reader, and I read a lot between the lines. There was a, a series by Anne McCaffrey called The Dragon Riders of Pern. And if you read very much between the lines, there is sort of a cultural acceptance of homosexuality or really homo loveuality. I don't like the word homosexual. I think that it makes people think that gay people are only about sex. And if we had the word be about love and it was homo lovual, we'd get a lot further. But there was this thing where there was this subtext that you could figure it out, that there were relationships of men and men in the book. It was never talked about explicitly. But if you followed the logic of some of the way the culture worked, you could see it. And looking back, I think maybe that's why I was so obsessed with those books. I read every single one of them. And in fact, I read everything else that Anne McCaffrey wrote because I was just, I thought I saw something there, some glimmer. But I never really found LGBTQ characters in books unless they were like the villain. I read Dune a lot. Baron Harkonnen was sort of a pedophile villain and that wasn't helpful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really there was very, very little. And that's why I started my blog about 11 years ago now. You know, I'm here on Queer What the Hell Do I Read was trying to create a safe space because by that time in 2007, there were a handful of books, including yours, including Heather's Two Mommies. But there was so little safe space to discover what those books were. There's a really beautiful book by Todd Parr called The Family Book, also a picture book. And it has these very sweet, very cartoony images of like some families look alike. And it's like a bunch of dogs, cartoon dogs, and they all look alike. And some families look different. And it's a tree with all these different animals in the tree. Some families adopt children and it's a bunch of ducks. And there's a penguin standing on the back of one of the ducks. Some families have two daddies or two mommies. And there's a picture of two dads and two moms. And, you know, and then it goes on and on. And then there was a review on Amazon that said, you know, if you rip out the page with two moms and two dads, then you have a lovely book on diversity. Oh, you know, I just felt it's like ripping of my heart just yeah. to hear that somebody would say that. That's yeah. just so awful. And completely missed the whole point about diversity, right? But, but to Amazon, you know, they don't care. That doesn't violate their terms of service. It's a review and it's someone's opinion. But to me, that's so painful. And I thought... This is not a safe space to find what are the books with LGBTQ characters and themes for children and teens. And so I got my dander up and I was like, I am going to create a safe space. And so that's what I did. I really wanted to create somewhere where everybody could find out. And there's no hidden hate and there's no overt hate either. I, I moderate every single comment that goes on that site. And I've done so for all this time. So that felt really good to create that safe space. And now to have a book that I can talk about as well is, is pretty lovely and exciting. Well, I love how your righteous anger motivates you as a person and an author and motivates your character. So I'm wondering if you've encountered any negativity towards your book, any hatred, contraphobia, censorship, and how you plan to deal with that if and when it happens. As of this conversation, I feel like I'm in the lull before the storm. The book hasn't been published yet. It's only out in ARCs. It releases two weeks from this interview. And it's an exciting moment. It's a little scary, but I feel that I told my truth as best as I can. There's a wonderful quote by Anne Lamott, who in her Bird by Bird book said, 
Lighthouses don't run all over an island looking for boats to save. They just stand there and they shine. And I feel like when I heard that quote, it resonated very deeply for me because I know this book is not going to be universally loved because the issue of Lincoln potentially being in love with another guy is so incendiary in our culture. And even though it's been mentioned before to adults, it's never been talked about to teens. And I felt that it needed to be. And so I have this light on and it's shining. And if people want to come to the light and read the book and be excited about how it cracks open this facade of history and lets all this LGBTQ light, rainbow light shine through, then that's great. And if they don't, then that's okay too. And, you know, watch out, there's some rocks over there. But I feel like I have to kind of steal myself a little bit because there are definitely going to be people that aren't fans and that's got to be okay. And I guess I really should ask you, you know, Leslie, what's your advice? You were very much in a firestorm of this same kind of thing. You know, should there even be two mommy and two daddy families? And when you published Heather as Two Mommies, when it was published, that changed the world. You know, what's your advice for me? Well, you know, I think we have a lot in common because Heather Has Two Mommies was also published through a Kickstarter campaign. Of course, this was way before Kickstarter. It was 1989. So actually, we sent out letters, actual letters with stamps and envelopes. So it was a process. And so there was a lot of support behind it, a lot of grassroots support. And then I was completely taken aback when all the controversy started because I didn't think anybody would be interested in Heather Has Two Mommies except for the mostly lesbians who supported it and funded it and wanted it to happen. So it was the first of its kind. And in a way, this is the first of its kind because, you know, to take on a story like this with such a beloved historical figure, you know, I keep using the word courage throughout this whole interview because I think it takes a lot of courage. And I do think, even though the world is not the way it was in 1989, I mean, there are gay characters on TV and in books, and like you said, celebrities coming out and marriage equality is the law of the land. This is going to be controversial. I really do think it will be. And I think channeling Wyatt's courage would be something for you to think about. I mean, you created Wyatt, so that courage is in you to speak truth to power is always important and to not take things on personally. And for me, it was really important to remain calm, (laughs) you know, and I'm not a very angry person. And there were definitely things people said that made me angry. I mean, I was called all kinds of horrible names, including, you know, pedophile, the spawn of the devil, all these things. And, you know, I just had to remember that everybody takes their whole life experience to every book that they read. So I had to think about where is this coming from and what is the hidden agenda behind all these comments that are being made. And then basically, you know, I defended myself. I defended my book. I defended LGBTQ rights. And I really let the hatred roll off my back. You know, I come from a line of very strong Jewish women. So (laughs) I have a very thick skin. And I was happy to engage in conversation with anyone who really seemed like they were open to having an actual conversation. And I chose not to engage with people 
whose minds were so closed that all they wanted to do was use this as an opportunity to spew their hatred. I just wasn't interested in engaging in that way. So that's some of the things that I learned from having the experience of publishing, you know, the the first book that showed a happy family that consisted of two lesbian moms and a child back in 1989. (laughs) And your book changed the world. It made such a difference and still does. And I guess, you know, when that storm hits, I think I'll be in good company. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, Heather Has Two Mommies was, you know, on the top 10 banned books of the 1990s, along with books like I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, like Maya Angelou and Catcher in the Rye and Huckleberry Finn. So, you know, and everybody jokes that controversy sells books, you know, which it kind of does. But the most important thing for me, and I can assume that the most important thing for you is that the book gets into the hands of the people who will mean something too. So in this case, the teens who really want to read about this and think about it and, you know, have it rock their world. Because, you know, when I was growing up, I studied poetry. I studied the poetry of Allen Ginsberg. No one ever told me he was gay. I mean, Allen Ginsberg. You know, I studied um, Gertrude Stein, and it was so clear when I look back, of course, Gertrude and Alice. I mean, how could you not see that? But nobody told me that. So I had no idea. And that would have totally changed my life and saved me years of suffering. So I really commend what you're doing with this book. And I do think that it's going to make a huge difference in many teens' lives. I really do. Oh, thank you so much, Leslie. That was beautiful. Well, you are welcome. I wish you all success with this book. Like I said, it's going to make a difference in many, many teens' lives. And I'm sure you'll be out there on the reading circuit and you'll be bringing Wyatt and Abe and Joshua into people's minds and hearts, and good things are going to happen. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And honestly, you're one of my idols. And to to have this opportunity to talk about my book with you is really wonderful. So thank you. You're welcome. We are a mutual admiration society. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to bonus episode 34, where Leslie Newman interviewed me about my YA novel, Queer as a $5 Bill. I write and produce this podcast. Our theme music is by Doug Pettibon, and our creative consultant is Matthew Winner. Visit leewin.org to download a free PDF excerpt of the Lincoln chapter from No Way They Were Gay, containing all the evidence of Abraham Lincoln loving another man. Our next bonus episode the world debut audio of that very same Lincoln chapter from No Way They Were Gay, 